Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Joy Juice Podcast with Dr. Joe. Now, here's your host, Dr. Joe. Hello, welcome to Joy Juice. I'm Dr. Joe. This show is about discovering your passion through life's journey. What sparks you and lights you up in life? I often like to showcase people who exemplify that spark. So when I was talking to my producer, Jeff, about who is passionate about their work, he instantly thought of our next guest, Bashar Wali, founder of This Assembly and CEO of Practice Hospitality. Welcome, Bashar. Thank you, delighted to be here. Thanks so much for joining us. So what uh, I wanted to, um, just so that everybody's clear, Bashar and I have known each other, God, for over 10 years now. Can you believe that? 10 Actually, years. Probably 20, but you 20. Know, I was 10 at the time. So <laughs> Who's counting? Um, we first met back in uh, San Diego, California at a ho- very, very cute little hotel called the Palomas Resort. I was the director of AV. Uh, Bashar was part of the ownership group and was managing the property at that time. And I got to say that without any conditions or anything else the bashar is the very best hotel operator in the world i've known um there's wow, no doubt about really it worth, that's worth the 100 bucks i gave you <laughs> um it's it, he re- truly is he exemplifies what hospitality should be um he has um done he's been all over the world literally um, and we're going to get into the whole unobtainium thing here in a second um but it's it's all about passion and hospitality and making people feel welcome and Bashar does that better than anybody his hotels are unique there's no carbon copycats there's no big boxes it's all about the experience in each hotel and giving the guests the a unique experience that they can go home and talk about do you think that's about right am I getting that right Sounds great. That's okay. Good job. So I just wanted to. I like it. Yeah. Um, I think that um, I'm going to turn this over to Joe. We've got a lot of questions for you. So um, I've kind of gone through, and um, we both have rewatched your TED Talk, which we'll get to in a bit. But um, that's been kind of where we started in the jumping off point, getting to know you, um, or Joe, getting to know you and me, reacquainting myself with your philosophies. So, Joe? Yeah, so why don't we just start at the beginning. Where did you first realize you wanted to get into the hospitality industry? It's actually interesting. It wasn't even in the cards for me. I originally was thinking I'd do something in the, I don't know, politics, world economy, World Bank, UN, journalism. That was sort of where I thought I'd end up. And hospitality was frankly and a lucky accident, I'd call it, not by intention. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's interesting. People say, why why this business? And fundamentally, I use this all the time, and I think it, it sort of will resonate with you, and it's on point of our conversation. I grew up in the Middle East, and there's a saying in the Middle East that goes, when a stranger shows up at your door, feed him for three days before you ask him who he is, where he's from, or where he's going to. Mm-hmm. Because by then, he'll, he'll either have the strength to answer, or you'll be such good friends, it won't matter. And to me, hospitality, particularly depending on where you grow up, is is innate to me. It literally is in my DNA, and it felt like a natural choice. So once all I needed is a teaser, once I fell in it, there was no looking back, and it became my calling. Fascinating. I, I, that's that's such a good story. I love that. That, that is. It really is. Um, so you 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 were born in Syria. You emigrate here to the United States. At what time? How old were you when you you and your family entered the United States? I was seventeen, solo. My family is all here now. Followed 
years after. But yeah, I was 17 and uh, got on a plane and showed up and thought I could conquer the world and learned the hard way that nothing is easy, but also learned that the American dream is alive and well, no matter who's in office, what administration is in office. Mm-hmm. If, if you work hard for it, it will reward you. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a clear example of, uh, you know, yeah. the American dream again, alive and well. So can we talk a little bit <clears throat> about your work in particular? So when I was watching your TED talk, you don't stay at the same hotel twice. Yes, indeed. That is my uh, neurotic behavior, <laughs> my claim to fame, as it were. Okay. So uh, it, it kind of, you know, it started early on this idea of I have major FOMO in everything in life. And we'll talk about it in a minute when we talk about travel. Mm-hmm. But I've always felt if I'm in New York for three nights, why would I see the same place three nights in a row and not move around? Not only for the FOMO factor, but also to learn and grow and observe and watch. So once I started doing it, it sort of kind of became my thing. Right. And it became my street cred that I could not not do. So I've kept track in New York City, the center of the universe. I've run out in many, many towns. I have to repeat, but in New York, hard to run out. Uh, two mm-hmm. weeks ago, I stayed in my 217th wow. hotel in Manhattan. <clears throat> and although I, I promise you, I probably don't travel nearly as much as many, many people do. Many people literally live on the road. I don't think anyone is neurotic enough to move hotels as much as I do. So I'm pretty confident I hold some kind of a record. I just don't care enough to find out, I suppose. And I continue to do it to this day. And my band is pretty broad. I'll go from ultra luxury to hostel. So it's mm-hmm. not limited to a thing or a class. It really is all about experiencing different things from different offerings and kind of meeting people along the way. And that's the most important part. I have to ask. So out of all those experiences, which is your favorite hotel? A uh, really interesting question. And I'm sure it'll, it'll, it'll trigger conversation as we go forward. So normally people say, what do you remember? Like what stands out, right? What's your right. favorite? And I generally say my answer to that question is, ask me what kind of flooring material is in the bathroom of the Baccarat Hotel. I don't know. I don't care. Ask me what kind of art is on the wall at the peninsula. I don't know. I don't care. So my answer usually is I only remember when someone goes out of their way and genuinely gives a damn. Mm -hmm. Like the bar is really, really low. But ultimately, it's funny, again, after all these hotels, and I will answer your question in a minute. After all these hotels, I've come to a very, very simple way of critiquing hotels. I think we get caught up with too many details and how was the food and how was this and how was that when at the end of the day there's really only one metric in my opinion that matters and that is there are two kinds of hotels it's either memorable or forgettable and think about that for a minute okay. and it really applies to everything in life right was the meal memorable or forgettable was the person you met memorable or forgettable and to me what makes a hotel memorable generally isn't the building or the art or or, or, or all those things are accretive to creating a really pleasant experience, but fundamentally it's the people and how they treat you. So my answer to your question is, I love the Crosby Street Hotel in Soho, Mm -hmm. part of Firmdale Hotels, a British company. I think they hit all the notes right. And by the way, service, when I say interactions with people in service, it isn't about people all over you, right? It's not about having a butler. It really is about giving people what they want, having the emotional intelligence to read your customer and giving them what's appropriate for them. Because you may want all that and I may not. So how do you balance that? So Crosby stands out, but yeah, fundamentally it's to me, 
memorable hotels are memorable because of the people you encounter, not because of the building or the things that are around it. So you talked about an emotional-based checklist. Can you describe what that is? Yeah, sure. Um, so hotels, like many establishments, generally hotels and restaurants do this a lot. We do what's called a mystery shop. So we hire a company, they send a person unknown, and that person goes into a hotel and checks all the touch points that we care about. Did they use your name when you checked in? Did they offer you luggage service? Did they, did they, did they? And it's very transactional. Mm -hmm. So they have a list and you have to check all those items on the list. And I've come to realize that at the end of the day, I could master that list, literally master it and be the most miserable human you've ever met. <laughs> right, right. Because, because this, this idea of emotion isn't about checking the list. It really is about how you make people feel. So I said, well, this is skewed. How do I find a way to really get to the heart of the matter and say, how are we making you feel along the way? So we now do, an, we intermix these transactional based mystery shops, I call them, with emotional based. So now we send the mystery shopper, obviously a different one, and we say, forget the questions, we don't have a list for you. Tell me when you checked in, how did they make you feel? Did you actually feel welcome? And that doesn't come from them using your name or offering you luggage service. It just comes from that nebulous emotional thing, the connection you make with humans. And it's fascinating because you see some hotels will ace the transactional and fail the emotional. And you really want to balance. Like, I don't want one to master one or fail the other. But look, at the end of the day, what we do isn't rocket science. Mm -hmm. So it's not like you're flying a plane where I want the pilot to check every item on that checklist. This is this is a sort of a, a very simple business where you're welcoming people into your home. So I want you to make them feel good. So we do both. And the emotional based shop to me has become an eye opener as to what really matters and what doesn't. You know, and I think of that quote that you use for Maya Angelou. Do you remember that quote? Yeah, of course. I mean, it's, it's one of my favorite, right? Like it doesn't, people will forget what you did and what you said, but they'll never forget how you made right. them feel. Mm -hmm. And I'm very, very focused in my industry, particularly about this idea. Well, I'll, I'll dive into this for a minute. So people say we're in the service industry, right? Yep. And I often cry foul about that idea because I say, well, where I get my oil changed, they're in the service business and where my dentist is in the service business because they're all delivering a service at the end of the day. And although we hotels deliver a service, a robot can now deliver a service. Literally in New York, I stay in a yep. hotel, I order a towel and a little R2D2 brings me my towel, <laughs> which is totally fine. But yeah. fundamentally, if that's where we end what we do at service, big failure. I say we're in the hospitality business and the clear distinction for me is service is something you deliver hospitality is how you make people feel mm -hmm. and by the way hospitality is not exclusive to the hotel industry i my dentist can be in the in the hospitality industry if they want if they focused about on the idea of how do i feel as their patient when i walk into the room how am i treated how am i talked to because you know a lot of those things we go through in we go through throughout life see become very transactional and they lose this sort of idea of feelings and, you know, I use Cheer, the uh, TV show that's becoming a lost uh, example on a lot of the new generation. Th that bar, you know, Cheer's bar never said we're the biggest or the greatest and have the greatest wine list, most award winning, et cetera. It said where everyone knows your name. Right. Because knowing your name, knowing your name makes you feel good ultimately. Right. That's what it's all about. Well, and you talked too about um, your quote was we all want to be VIPs to be special. And I, I think that's so true. Well, it, it's again, sort of a subject that I've been really spending a lot of time on is this idea that it seems like we've all lost our individuality in our society. So when I, when I, when I go to a 
board a plane and I get upgraded, right? I'm not a person, I'm just a statistic. Someone says, this guy fits this status, he's on the list, equals upgrade. It's very formulaic. But when I get on the plane and I get a handwritten card from the pilot that says, we appreciate your business, thank you, Mr. Wally, that's when I feel like a million bucks. So getting the upgrade or getting any of that becomes, if you really think deeply about it, sure, I'm happy to take the upgrade, I'm not going to turn it down, but I didn't get the upgrade because I'm me, I got the upgrade because a formula, a system decided I need to get the upgrade. So if you can find a way to touch personal things, and if you heard it in my TED talk, I talk about the story where someone took a minute to find something mm-hmm. personal about you. Right. I think we as humans, and that's what I meant with the idea of being VIPs, we all want to be individuals and treated as individuals, not statistics. So you can see Bashar and I have a lot of the very similar outlooks on the hospitality industry. I, I think Bashar, you've heard me say this when somebody asked me about what I did in the hotels and I would say that, you know, I, I am a hospitality person. Audiovisual is just the service I deliver. That's just the mechanics right. of it. It's not, I wasn't an AV guy. I was a hotel person. I was a hotelier. I was part of a hotel delivering hospitality to making people feel wonderful and great and want, they, we want them to come back. We want rabid fans. The only way we can do that is to make them feel incredibly welcomed and special and that their their needs are, are taken care of to the very best degree. So we share, We it's a very important thing is you and I share the very same outlook at a base level. My question, my question to you, Bashar, is now that you've gone through, you were uh, on property person, you worked your way up, you became a general manager, you got into ownership. So in that point, how do you now, with all of your experience, when you're out there and you're getting ready to open a new hotel, what are the qualities of people that you're looking for when you're hiring? Uh, again, really, really good question and interesting, and I touched on it earlier. This. For anyone who thinks this business is complicated, I'm here to tell you it's not. I went to college for it, and truth be told, you don't need to go to college to be in the hotel business. Because if you take my initial quote that I opened with, the hotel industry is really about hosting people. And we're all good at hosting people because we all have people come to our homes and host people. So you don't need that level of sophistication for it. Ultimately, the two most important characteristics I look for are which are very uncommon these days. The first one is common sense, because our business is very commonsensical, right? Like sort of read the people, understand what's happening in the situation and react accordingly. And we cannot create a rule book about everything because humans are unpredictable and we cannot expect everything or anticipate everything. So common sense is a very important point to me. And the other one is emotional intelligence. And interestingly enough, it's a very hard nebulous thing to pin down I've been working with the dean of a hospitality school in Boston about this idea of can we as an industry come up with a simple test that would allow us to test your aptitude for emotional intelligence. Some people have it and some people don't. And emotional intelligence to me means exactly that. Read the person who's walking up to you to check in or do whatever. Understand what what it is that will make them tick or what it is that they want. And I use this example of I show up to the desk don't tell me about the spa. Don't tell me about the food and beverage. Don't tell me Don't tell me anything. Don't tell me where the elevator is. I know where it is. I can hear it. Hand me my key and send me away. Joe shows up with her bags all over the place, and she's you know fishing through her bag for her ID, and she's frustrated. As she, and she would wants be, to sit yes. there and have a conversation. <laughs> she wants to sit there and have a conversation for an hour. Give her what she wants. 
And it's very, very hard because we've all become somewhat drones and we want to follow the corporate protocol. <clears throat> ladies and gentlemen, lady, serving ladies and gentlemen, one of the things we do in our industry is we say, you must use the guest's name three times at check-in. I'm like, uh, I already know, know my name. You don't need to use it. You want to impress me, call me by my name when I walk back in the third time without looking down on your screen. So I, I think the issue ultimately in our industry, forgetting the great resignation that's going on right now and all the other problems we're dealing with that are, are hopefully temporary, fundamentally to me, those are the two most important characteristics. And when I say emotional intelligence, that's partly means you sort of have to be warm and extroverted and welcoming. And that's, a, again, a nebulous thing that you can't see on a resume. Yeah. I, I, um, I'm, I'm going to put this in. Bashar says emotional intelligence. I use the word empathy. And basically, it's, it's the same thing for me in the okay. way that he what how Bashar describes emotional intelligence. For me, it's empathy is the word that I would use. Well, I would say, um, too, anecdotally, I think emotional intelligence is probably the biggest predictor of success, you know, um, just in the world. And I see that with clients. So, sure. Bashar, my question to you is, do you think that that's something that you can cultivate? with someone uh, again minus the current uh environment for um resources the great resignation i think historically the way i've managed to successfully cultivate it there isn't a training program there isn't a seminar you sit through i'm sure there is but those to me are all a waste of time ultimately it's culture that we're creating this is not about training this is not about technical skills this is about setting a culture and to me, culture begins at the very top. And it really is boils down to the idea of treating people with respect and caring for one another up and down, whether I work for you or you work for me. Or, you know, I, I say to people, when a homeless people walks through your door in a hotel, how you deal with that person says volumes about who you are as a person and what you represent as an organization. And the other people that work with you are watching you and watching how you behave and you interact with this person. So all those interactions matter. So to me, it's, it's about culture first. And I wish I could tell you there's a handbook on how to create a good company mm -hmm. culture. There's been lots of books written about it, but fundamentally it really is about, it's about how you interact with people from all walks of life that are guests or non-guests and, and the example you set as a leader of an organization to help foster that culture. So I wish there was an easy way around it. Uh, because I, I'd sign up for it tomorrow. I think it's hard work and it's, it's on the ground every single day, setting the example and practicing what you preach. So, we, we, Bashar, you've gone from um, different companies, you've worked for different hotel organizations, you've started up hotel organizations, you currently are cons uh, have a consulting company that, you work, that you've started for hotels, you've got a real estate management company for hotels and development. We've, I've noticed, and it's an interesting thing, is, is that all of your hotels are outside the large urban areas. Um, that you operate and you have tend to be a little bit not in the metropolitan areas like downtown say New York City you don't have a hotel why is that sure um, look I'm not gonna lie I wish I could be in New York right my heart is there so I want a hotel there so um, I think from a from a sort of a pragmatic perspective uh, if you go to New York and Miami and Boston and Washington, D.C., you're sort of competing with the world. It's become the market has become global. Uh, everyone has access to all those deals. And it's become really, really hard to do good work and make money 
because ultimately you're just overpaying for the honor of being in New York City. And it's funny, the pandemic, I feel, has helped Americans rediscover America. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's, we, we live in a big country. People lose sight of it. For me to travel from Seattle to Miami, if I were to do that distance from England, I would cross a dozen countries, mm-hmm. right? Yep. So I think we've rediscovered America and you know, forgiveness from the flyover country, as we call it, the flyover states. There's a lot of fantastic places in the country that we're sort of seeing and rediscovering that have been neglected for a long time and don't have the kind of offerings that the coasts have been afforded. So I'm spending a lot of time. I literally last week was I was in Omaha. I've been in in Tulsa recently. I've been in Columbus recently, Mm -hmm. Bentonville, Arkansas. So there's some amazing places. So I think a couple of a couple of reasons why a it's a lot easier to find the right deal. It's a lot easier to make the deal make financial sense. And I think the bar has been low. You get to do a lot of really interesting things and be a newcomer to the market, bringing new things to the market rather than just being another. So I think it checks all the boxes from the capitalistic, you know, makes more sense financially. Now risk reward, obviously, so there's that to consider, but across the spectrum to finding great help, to having access to better qualified people because the market is not competing for the talent. So I think it works all around. And I think, like I said, we have a really big country that deserves to have the best. And I think a lot of these cities having their eyes have opened now to what the world has to offer. They demand quality also. They're done having chain restaurants and strip malls and all of that, and they want high quality. So I think it's it's a perfect formula, and I hope more people do it and focus on it. So the, the next question then stands, I mean, going a little bit deeper into why you decide to go into these markets that many people, like you said, fly over country, which I think is just there's so much to be discovered when you open up a hotel say in omaha nebraska you're not just opening a hotel you're all of a sudden giving a major um jobs market boost you're you're hiring and and getting people to work that those jobs just didn't exist before so your hotel becomes sort of like a hub in the city you become part of that corporate citizenship for say omaha nebraska and it's it's a wonderful thing I mean, I'll answer it differently by saying, unfortunately, today, Omaha, Nebraska doesn't need me to create jobs because everyone is competing. for them. But I think what's more important, certainly we're creating new jobs, but what's more important is this idea that you're giving back to the idea of individuality, right? Mm-hmm. If you take that, that to a city's perspective, Omaha wants a reason to be proud and wants great hotels. And there are some great hotels there, right? But they want more, they need more. So I think if you embrace the community, and not show up as, hey, we're from the coasts, we're cooler, we know better. If you embrace the community and you become a part of my with the community, and that's our formula, then the community will embrace you and will help mm-hmm. you succeed. Yeah. And this is truly, and it takes a village kind of thing. Like you can't just show up and be like, we're from New York, we know everything, step aside, we got this, because mm-hmm. you'll fail miserably. Mm-hmm. Ultimately. That's 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 exactly yeah. what I was looking for there. You, you nailed it again. So Bashar, I, I want to kind of kind of switch gears a little bit and kind of talk about you as a person aside from hospitality what what things do you do when you're not working and you're not traveling are there any other things that kind of stir your soul working and traveling (laughs) (laughs) there you go travel broadly uh, i i subscribe to the anthony bourdain school of travel travel Mm. isn't about there's a great quote that i love that it goes a tourist sees what he came to see. A traveler sees what he sees. So yeah. I'm a traveler. I don't go chasing, you know, sights and scenes. In fact, I stray away from those, particularly now 
given the over-tourism that's happening everywhere in the world. So travel to me is far more than sightseeing and, and, and checking a box. It really is about, and again, there's another great quote that says, don't travel to discover the world, travel to discover yourself. Mm. So, and you know, with travel comes the arts and the culinary and the people and all the things that sort of, you know, inspiration, people get inspiration from different things. Some people want to be in the forest. I, I am an urban rat, stick me in a big city. There's a French word, I think used in English also, flaneur, uh, and it means he who wanders a city aimlessly. And that is what I love. I mean, there's nothing better in the world than getting lost in the back streets of Tokyo for five hours. Because wow. it's not just about the site, it's about who you encounter and what you see and, and where your head goes during those walks and what you think about. And it just changes your perspective, right? We have, there are 193 countries and two territories, 195 different places in this world and we're so inward thinking here, it seems. And you'd be surprised, by the way, at how many people in the U.S. have not left, never left the three states right. that surround theirs and never seen more. Right. And it's such a shame. And it's not about resources or money or any of this because, you know, it's been democratized, that whole thing. You can, if you if you time it right, you can travel anywhere really, really cheap. It's just about keeping your mind open and not thinking we are it and our poop doesn't stink and we're the greatest. And by the way, this is the greatest country on the planet, but there is many reasons to go and see others absolutely yeah, so, I'm, your your quote about traveling i use jrr tolkien not all those who wander are lost right and this is exactly. the one that, yeah. that i would i would do so given all that that you love to travel this is this is and it ties perfectly in with your chosen vocation in life um which is a right. very very happy coincidence what's what is it with your obsession with old range rovers uh, the Land Rovers. Land Rover. I, I don't know. I mean, we all we all need we all need an obsession. By the why why not? I just the form, the, the 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 romance of it, the fact that it's been you know used in farms and militaries alike. There's something about it. But yeah, it's just merely an obsession. Okay, and 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 them not running when you absolutely need them to is also part of it, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I was funny. I was in Africa on a safari, and we go into Toyota Land Cruisers, and I say to the guy, "I'm like, uh, Toyotas? Why not Land Rover?" He goes, "We use the Toyotas to fetch the Land Rovers when they break down." <laughs> and they do so you're you're based. I mean, when you're not up in the air or in a hotel, um, applying the Yasser Arafat rule of ne never the never the same two nights of the same place. Um, you you're from you you're based out of Portland, Oregon. That's a a, a really live, really yeah yeah you you live in Portland. Right? I live in I, I pay mortgage in the Democratic People's Republic of Portland, Oregon. But <laughs> I, I live I live on Delta I live on Delta Airlines. Yeah yes and and you um you have a family you have a, a, a college age son and a high school age daughter. Do you see I do. do you see them having the same itch that you did? Did you see them going towards or leaning uh, towards a career in hospitality as well? Or are they just, uh, that's what dad does and I don't want anything to do with it? Yeah, yeah, not a career, but I hope through what we've done as a family and what we've done, you know, together, me and them separately uh, traveled the globe, essentially, that I've sort of planted that seed in them that, you know, it's a big world out there and you'd be foolish to think that you know everything and have seen everything. So I hope I've... I've I've given them that travel bug, but yeah, they have no interest in the industry. Joy Juice Podcast is sponsored by Anchor. Anchor is a free podcasting service. So it's a multi-point distribution network to the top eight podcast content networks. 
So like Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, etc. It also has an all-encompassing product tools for you to use online for free. You have access to use music on Spotify for free in your podcast. Anchor brings advertisers and sponsors to you so you can start making money immediately. We use Anchor for our podcast because truly it's the easiest way for the world to hear what you have to say. Fascinating. I mean, I, I today, from, today, you today. know, that'll that'll change. Obviously, I'm not saying never, but today they don't seem to have it. Of course, my daughter, who's in high school, says she wants to take over. I'm like, yeah, sure. After you've washed some dishes and cleaned <laughs> some toilets and sorted some dirty laundry, maybe. But yeah, not not anytime soon. Yeah, I mean that's that's the way that you have to do it now. I mean, we, you and I both started at the very lowest rungs. I mean, I was. I was I was a dishwasher. I I did that job. I know it. But the tools you gain from doing those things, you understand intimately how all the pieces fit together because you've done them. Sure. Well, I had the fortune of interviewing David Marriott, the new chairman. Right. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. Eight eight thousand hotels, and he certainly, even though he shares the last name, he paid his dues and he worked in the field and he was in the kitchen and. He's done all the job, not as a management person, but literally did those jobs. And I think number one, it humbles you. And number two, it, it, it's it's so much better for you to tell someone they're not doing it right if you've done it yourself. It gives you more credibility and more respect. Mm-hmm. So having studied something actuarially and pretending you know everything about it, particularly this business, is foolish. You don't know anything about it until you've done it. You don't know anything about it what happens on a Sunday morning when 200 people check out and 200 people are checking in in two hours and you've got to turn the hotel. So I think not only does it humble you, but it also, you know, nothing better than on the ground, hands-on experience. You know, I, I was thinking too, and I see this with some of the young people today, I always think in my field, we had to pay our dues, right? And that's what I'm hearing from you, um, Jeff, like you were the dishwasher and you kind of work your way up. But I do agree that it, it does build a sense of humility and appreciation. And I always say, like, when I go out to dinner and, you know, some of my family has um, been in the waiting staff and they're the best tippers because they really appreciate Absolutely. the hard work, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I've actually done a lot on that subject of tipping because it seems yep. to be polarizing. It blows my mind that it's polarizing. And I say, because, you know, people when I say, well, pay, pay them well and we don't have to tip and all that. And I'm saying, that's you're missing the point. It's about t- telling someone in a hotel room, by the way, who's typically unseen and an unsung hero. Like we, we celebrate the chef who cooks your meal, but we don't celebrate the housekeeper who's dealing with the worst of humanity. Right. People in right. hotel rooms lose their minds, it seems. So I always tell people, and I'm a big advocate of tip every day in a hotel room because the housekeeping staff changed that the same person who put in your room today may not tomorrow. Tip every day, not because of the money. Sure, the money definitely helps, but just to say, hey, I see you, I celebrate you, I appreciate you. And that goes a long, long way. Didn't we you always de- tend to do it for the front of the house people, but never the back of the house. Didn't you develop an app for something like that, if I recall, a few years I ago? Did, I, I, I didn't, but you know, now the excuse is this uh, cash, the cashless society. So we're, we as an industry, and there's a few companies that are playing in that space. To simple, I mean, listen, I go down the street, and there's a guy playing a guitar in a subway station in New York, and he's got his Venmo QR code on there for you to tip. Exactly. So we're, start, we're starting to go down that path in our industry and allow people who don't have cash, don't carry cash, to find a different way to do it. Suffice it to say, by the way, 
I literally go to the bank, I don't know, once a month and pull out 500 bucks in fives and I stick it in my drawer and I stuff my pocket with fives because it's just too e easy, right? It's easy mm -hmm. enough to do. Yep. Mm -hmm. and, and it goes a long, long way. And by the way, more, well, not more important, but equally as important is the note you might leave that says literally thank you on it. A smiley face for all I care. So it's not just about the money. It's about being seen. And back to my initial comment of individuality. People want to be seen and appreciated and valued as individuals. Mm -hmm. Completely. I knew this one woman and super bright and I, and she was doing some kind of um, a support staff, secretarial kind of thing. But her boss said to her, just thank you. I really appreciate what you do. And we were talking and she said, I felt like a kid in school, like getting an A and, you know, the accolades from the principal. And she said, it's, I feel so silly, right? I didn't get a raise. It's not like she got a right. promotion, but literally that made her day. It, it, it's so underappreciated, this idea of appreciate people and show them that you do. And yes, yeah, sure, money, don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting don't tip or don't give raises. But in addition to, right. because then it, it becomes holistically so much better. So we've talked about your family. Um, we, I've, I've had the honor and privilege of, of meeting your wife, Eileen. Um, she was also in the hotel industry. So she kind of understands what you're doing and why you're doing it, which is a wonderful, wonderful thing. I mean, understands, uh, knows, yes, understands, I don't know. That's why we've been married for a long time, by the way, because that's my, that's my marriage advice. You want to stay married for a long time? Travel often. Because our, our 26 years feels like it's been five years. We're newlyweds for all intents and purposes. Mm -hmm. Right, right. So who's Lola? Lola is our uh, German short hair pointer. Because she's, she's the boss, right? Uh, trust me, if my <laughs> wife was given a choice, me or the dog, guess who wins? Not me. <laughs> Bashar, you, you've, you've traveled the globe. You've, you've seen, almost, what I would say you've been on six of the seven continents, right? You, you can uh, Closing make... in, maybe not six, but closing in. Or yeah, five. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. FOMO, remember, FOMO, not, never one place, always many, many in one trip. So, so, I mean, as a person that's seen the world and, and has seen all the different diversity of culture, history, all of that, with all of that being said, what do you think is the future for, for the hospitality industry? Is it a new, is there an area that is underdeveloped for hospitality that is going to explode, say something like um, India and those areas? Or is it is it is there is it more of a, a, a an emotional or or a full philosophical change that that is coming out of this pandemic? Um, what is the future? Such a hard, such a hard question to answer, and so broad. So I'm I'm spending time on the metaverse and what that means for travel. Right. And I think un, until such time that we humans can lie in bed with a pair of VR goggles on and travel, right, which we can do now, but not good enough, I guess, for our, all of our senses. Travel is here to stay and hotels are at the epicenter of travel because you need a place to stay. And I think travel has become somewhat the new social currency. People don't show off with their watch or their suit or their car anymore. They show off by saying, oh, I was here and I was there and I went there and I've been to this many places. And it's funny, it truly has become the new social currency and the emerging economies, that is the new status symbol. Mm -hmm. So China, India, Brazil, you go travel and those are the dominant travelers right now, which comes at a big cost, obviously, because over tourism is real. I was watching this morning on um, television, the national parks in the US, even that. 
that they've become overwhelmed by the amount yep. of people that come to them and it's starting to affect nature meaningfully. Mm -hmm. I know Barcelona has talked about and maybe implemented the maximum number of tourists annually because we're destroying the planet, carbon footprint and all the mess that comes with it. So, and, and anything you think has been undiscovered because of the internet, everything has been discovered, unfortunately. So the, the secret spot that we used to go to that nobody knew about, not everybody knows about. So I think the issue of over tourism is real and we need to deal with it and countries need to deal with it. And obviously they love the economic impact of it, but ultimately the environmental and social impact of it on the people that live in those places is, is unmeasured and, and, and devastating. So how do we as a globe deal with this idea and how do we manage the hordes and how do we deal with those issues become a really important issue in the future. But I think back to my point about sort of the Bourdain way of travel is if we all start thinking that it's not about the Eiffel Tower and the Arches National Park and it really is more about meeting people along the way, that's really what travel is about, that speak different languages, that eat different food and kind of respecting their experiences, then the world is a much bigger place that can handle the crowds. Mm -hmm. But if everyone is going to go, by the way, this, this summer they say going to Europe is going to be a disaster because of pent up demand. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a miserable experience because there's going to be lines at everything. And it's, you're not going to, I mean, going to the Louvre to see the Mona Lisa, I, I'll tell you, even pre-pandemic, don't waste yep. your time. Because yeah. yeah. there will be 9,000 people with cameras. You won't even be able to get a glimpse of it. It's not worth it. Mm -hmm. So how do we change the narrative and change this idea that travel isn't about that fleeting Instagrammable moment in front of the Mona Lisa? It's more about sitting at a cafe next to someone you've never met and having a conversation for five hours with them. So I think if we can, as an industry, preach that idea that travel to discover yourself, not to discover the world kind of thing, I think that's what we need to focus on. But to me, over tourism and even, by the way, ecotourism, by definition, we go to eco-friendly places, but now they're crowded, so they become less eco-friendly. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a vicious cycle that we yep. all have to be cognizant of. But I would say, just distilling this down to more tactical things, in my opinion, the future of luxury is ultra-customization and individualization, back to what we were saying earlier. Mm -hmm. So just because mm -hmm. going to the Ritz-Carlton, where ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen are, was where your dad went um, to vacation because that was a place doesn't mean that's what you want whether you have the money or not it's not about that anymore it really is about finding this unique experiences that are relevant to you regardless of the cost so i think luxury has changed by definition i mean who has time to sit at a restaurant for a 17 course dinner for mm -hmm. over six hours anymore that's not what people want anymore they want high quality ingredients they want to understand where their food's coming from they want to meet people along the way and I think that's the new focus on luxury is how do we make it more individual and more customized to you using technology, obviously. And, to, you know, you think about retail, you, you think about skis and, and, and Instagram is serving you, you know, ski ads all of a sudden. So how do we take what we know about you and serve you relevant content and open your eyes to locations you haven't thought about before? Yep. Yeah. On my list, by the way, on my, on my hot list right now is traveling to the Eastern Caucasus. I want to go to Armenia, Azerbaijan, mm. and mm -hmm. Uzbekistan. So those aren't necessarily at the top of the list, but beautiful places with beautiful people. So I think, you know, thinking about the world differently will change your perspective. It's going to take us a while, obviously. So, you know, um, just you were talking about eco and being, you know, the the large footprint that tourists happens. I mean, it's been 10 years now, I believe, that London does not allow um, gas-powered cars in the city center or you pay wow. a massive, massive fine. 
So yeah, I was I was there last week. There's a congestion fees they call it for mm-hmm. um, uh, emission, but wow. but there it, it's less about the tourism idea, just about you know big urban centers that are right. overcrowded, that are again destroying those those cities. So people are trying and cities are trying. I just think just the math. I mean, think again, just back to my Louvre example. Think about how many people are leaving China to travel that didn't used to travel and how many of them have never been and thus must check it off their list. Mathematically, you know, it's going to be a disaster, just mathematically, right? Yes. So India, uh, Brazil, and because travel is the new status symbol, even worse, because people really want it. And I hope they want it for the right reasons. Many want it for, the again, the fleeting Instagrammable moment, as it were. But yeah, sure. Would I would I be amiss to not have been to the Louvre and having seen the Mona Lisa or seen the collection of the Louvre? Forget the Mona Lisa. Sure. But now I, I think about my travel and I time it correctly. Like I don't need to go to the Louvre in July. I could certainly go in January. Right. Yep. So if you think about it correctly and you time it correctly, there's a lot of interesting ways to see the globe. So, the, the, you know, it's interesting you bring that up about luxury in, in China, because um, when I was in Hong Kong, um, I, I didn't know this, that per capita there are more Rolls Royces and Ferraris in Hong Kong than there are in the rest of the world. They love, they th- that culture loves their luxury items. And it's it's amazing that you it's, it's in Hong Kong in China that you would think that the structure of how their, their government is, that that would not be, you know, that would be, it seems to be diametrically opposed. It's just an interesting... Sure interesting thing i mean that's for the last 15 years people have been saying china 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 this is going to be the next emerging power just generally in the world and and why not go and explore a a place that had for the longest time not been open not been open yeah so I assume that I mean, aside from the just the curiosity and wanting to learn and and in the culture, I mean, as as a as in a person whose business it is is to do hospitality, I would say that you know you're probably looking at that on both sides of it, meaning that you're 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 wanting to experience the culture as personally, but also you can't you can't deny that that culture has a lot or a desire to to. Sp- go out and spend their money and go to other places. So as a hotelier, you must just be going, we got to find a way to capture that, right? I mean, what's what's even a better example almost than China is look, look at what Saudi Arabia is doing on the Red Sea. Like right. ask a thousand people if Saudi Arabia is in the top 100 destinations to travel and the answer will be no. And Saudi Arabia is saying we have this beautiful coastline. I have a friend who's working on a project there, and she says the project she's working on in Saudi Arabia on the Red Sea is the size of Belgium. I mean, they are building cities, literally cities on that that place. So all of a sudden, places that seemed forbidden or inaccessible in the past are becoming more accessible. So I think hopefully we'll see more of that and more places opening up, creating more destinations for people to go. So maybe for those who've been to Paris many times, let those who haven't been go and go find and discover new places. Plus, by the way, back to my FOMO, like why would you go to the same place? Although I will say Paris is never a bad idea. Absolutely. But why go to the same place twice? Go discover new places. Well, and, and I mean, I, Saudi Arabia is one thing, but the what you see all over social media is Dubai. You know? I mean, Dubai has been already open and it's, it's, yep. it's, 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 the, it's the Caribbean of Europe, essentially. So... 
it's been there and they've managed to masterfully diversify their economy from oil based to now tourism as well. And Saudi Arabia is realizing, you know, the end of oil, maybe not in our lifetime, but it's coming inevitably. Mm-hmm. So how do we diversify and create something? What do we have? We have a, we have a lot of real estate, right? A big mm-hmm. country that's sparsely populated and we have the resources to create a new economic engine. And tourism seems to be, you know, great climate, great sea, uh, the, the Red Sea. So there's a lot of opportunity to do good work, and they're doing it. So, well, and you're going back to the very beginning when you made that the quote about your culture, about you bring a person in and feed them for three days. I mean, hospitality began with with the Middle East. That's where it started. It's where it all began. I mean, so. I'll, I mean, ultimately, every culture, I think, in their own way, our hospitality is innate to all of us as humans. I think, again, we, we, we've grown, all have grown up with it, whatever culture we come from. It comes from different varieties. But, yeah, we certainly uh, overdo it, and especially the feeding part. I mean, when I oh, traveled yeah. with my American wife in the Middle East, good God, that was the biggest culture shock. She's like, I'm going to gain <laughs> 20 pounds in a week. Because you have to have like three dinners. God forbid you go to someone's house and not have dinner after you've had two dinners that same night. And coffee and tea. I mean, it's it's ubiquitous. Oh God, yeah, yeah. and desserts and you know into the wee hours. I mean, food is such a great uh, uh, thing to use for social interactions. Sure. People gather around food. The dinner table is where the best conversations happen. And and the, and in your hotels, that is a huge part of what you do. Is is the food? Is the restaurants? I mean, you you spare no expense when it comes to um, making sure that. Well, without, the, with, yeah, without food and beverage, a hotel is an apartment building, basically, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, that's that's really ultimately the place that brings people together. And without it, you just can't. It, again, it's an apartment building; it's a commodity. So definitely, food and beverage has been, and historically, in hotels. Back in the 80s, it was great. Then in the 90s, it became hospital food. And now we're realizing the incredibly huge value of the F&B offering. And you're starting to see some amazing um, offerings in hotels. And it's becoming more and more and more important. So, I mean, we go back to this idea of developing luxury brands. I I was recently, and I don't know if you caught it, um, I spent my 50th birthday celebration in Las Vegas. And we, my whole family came and we had, I'd been planning it for months, as and and we had a dinner at the Venetian and Emerald Lagasse's restaurant, and we were in the kitchen table with Chef Emerald there. And you talk about luxury experiences. I mean, Las Vegas is not the place that tr- historically you would think of as a place for world-class dining, and 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 it's developed in the last 25 years. The scene in Vegas is completely different from the era of Frank Sinatra, where you went and you had buffets and you just gambled. That's all you did. Vegas is is reinvented itself into a luxury location for people now. I, I don't know if you've been around or have, I don't I mean, recall. Listen, some, sometimes I go to Vegas just for dinner. Right. You're exactly right. It's, it's no longer, and again, they've realized we can't just survive on gambling forever. We've got to diversify. So it's become a destination for golf, for dining, for shows, mm-hmm. for entertainment. So gambling, I mean, so I literally have gone probably in the last three times I've been to Vegas in the last year. I've never once stuck a quarter in a machine or went mm-hmm. near the casino because it's not about the casino anymore. It really is about so much more than that. Yeah, it, it's it's it, it was a shock to me because it had been over a decade since I had been, and that's on me for not going because it's one of my favorite places. But just the unbelievable amount of things to do, uh, restaurants to try, 
um, attractions to go and see. Um, the, the shows have just developed into just absolute spectacle. I, I'm, 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 I am completely um, amazed at what after going away going, that's not the place I remember 25 years ago when we were in San Diego. It's just not. It's it's different now, and it's it's it 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 was an eye opener. But it's it's interesting to see that a place that started as in the middle of a desert mm -hmm. has been turned into this amazing oasis for okay. for people to to go and visit and and just uh, have just absolutely incredible experiences. And it's it's it's, it's I think it fits with what you were saying. Um, so with your companies and when you work with um, people that are wanting to open a hotel what's the first thing you tell them that they need to know uh, give me a reason to care why should I care about this hotel why should I stay there why should I work there it can't be just another there's got to be a reason and I'm, I'm a big uh, fan of Simon Sinek uh, and this idea of discovering your why like why are you doing this there's got to be more than, oh, to make money, like do good work and money comes. So what about, and back to, I think, to the subject of this joy and, and, and passion, there's got to be more of a reason for mm -hmm. it yep. than just um, making money. So I would say, why does this town need another hotel? How is your hotel going to be any different than every other hotel that's in the market? And I think once you start there and you have a good sense of why, then I think the rest becomes easy. And the idea of you know, the most overused word is it's whatever you do has to be authentic, whatever that means. Mm -hmm. And to me, authentic now means an unapologetic point of view is what I call it. So what is your point of view with this hotel? What are you trying to say? What are you trying to accomplish? It's it absolutely is true. And, and that's why I think that these unique experiences in the hospitality industry that you provide and in the hotels that you spend years developing um, and getting ready and then get, go through the process and the heartaches of construction and in the design of the place and all of that, it's secondary to the people that are serving it and kind of ties in to, to what we started with, that without people that care enough to work in these places and give weary travelers shelter and, and make them happy and comfortable, it doesn't matter how big or beautiful or I mean the Burj Al Arab is a beautiful building it's gorgeous but yeah. without the people to make it what it is it, it doesn't, doesn't it doesn't matter it people the game will be up quick enough the word will get out that yeah you have a beautiful place but it doesn't matter it's not worth going and then because you don't treat people right and I know from for a fact that that's what you you tr that's how you operate you want people to be treated the right way and if you can't do it and you don't want to do it then you're in the wrong business mm. exactly. And, exactly and and it's a uh, it's it's Bachar we can't thank you enough for taking the time today this has just been a wonderful conversation I I don't talk to you nearly as much as I should or or have time I mean we just we don't have that opportunity but it's always so great to to 
hear you and to spend time with you. Um, we thank you so very, very, very much. Well, you've inspired me to jump on a plane, so I'm going to be doing I, that you soon. Know, there's a quote that goes, it doesn't matter what the question is. The answer is buy the ticket. Buy the ticket. Yeah. Well, one last thing before we wrap up. Sure. So I love sure. in terms of life lessons and with all of your personal and professional experiences and successes, what would be a life lesson that you could share in part to our um, viewers? Again, uh, I, I am an, I'm a prolific Instagram poster. My kids say I post too much, but I love these sort of quotes. And one of my favorite quotes and my favorite lessons in life is, be humble or I will humble you, life. <laughs> okay. I, I, I've had the, I have been humbled by Bashar on many occasions. Got it. <laughs> Yeah, be humble or I will humble you, life. So, okay. I mean, who the hell are we, right? Who right, the hell are right. we on our high horses and all that? We're all in this together. It's all a moment in time and it'll be gone. So Couldn't can't agree be humble more. and nice to each other and, and celebrate each other and lift each other up. What's the point of life? God, I love it. Miserable, miserable place to live. So. I love it. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you both, uh, and have a great rest of your day. And we'll catch up down the line, Bashar, okay? Sounds good. Take All right. Care, Take care. Bye-bye. Well, now, so just as a kind of a cap on that. Yeah. What an interesting guy, huh? Oh, my God. Like I said, I feel like, uh, you know, the time is ticking. I need to jump on that plane and, you know, travel it's, the world. He, he is truly one of the... Um, titans of the hospitality industry and he's just a normal average everyday guy so impressive well i like that that sense and that's to me is the most impressive thing is not just your um professional accolades or wealth is being that that having that humility and being that down-to-earth person that you can talk to and relate to that's golden yeah i i uh I am I am lucky to have crossed paths with him and have stayed in contact with him as little as uh, he he is literally impossible to nail down. Well, and this, for to him what to a take special time, thing. yeah. For for him to take time to speak with us is is a really really big thing. Well, I also think too, and I like that last piece with the life lessons. But really, it was you know ingrained in his whole conversation. Yes. Is you know this hospitality industry, and I know a lot of our viewers aren't going to be in that industry. But the takeaway in terms of treating other people the way you want to be treated, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And um, to be seen and to be appreciated. These are all really good, you it know? It is. It is. <laughs> Fundamental. And, uh, and again, you can tell that this is what this guy wants to do. Oh, man. There, this, there's yeah. no, the passion at which he speaks about his industry. He's and living his joy juice. He, he really yeah. is living the Which is a blessing. Juice. And I always say to people, when you hit it and you find it and it's such a unique thing, you know, that's golden. Yeah, it really is. So we're gonna we're gonna wrap up here, and and uh, we're gonna say to the audience, thank you for listening, and um, please do check us out. Check out uh, what what the website um, your uh, your website address. Uh, yeah, com. We're also on Spotify, and thanks so much for tuning in, and be well. Have a good day.